0: The way that people show up for us in relationships doesn't just influence, you know, our behaviors, it actually wires our brains for what to expect in relationships.
1: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 238. Today we're talking about discipline explained with Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. welcome to the mindful mama podcast here it's about becoming a less irritable more joyful parent at mindful mama we know that you cannot give what you do not have when you have calm and peace within then you can give it to your children i'm your host hunter clarkfield's mindful mama mentor I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course and membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, my friend. I hope that you're hanging in there. Oh my goodness. This is such a crazy time with school or no school or is it safe to go to school for our kids or even preschool or whatnot I mean oh my gosh I mean it's amazing so yeah just to say I'm going through this too with you this there's a lot of questions swirling around my house too Um, and I've been doing a lot of support in the membership for parents it's just so hard to you know we're with our kids all day long we're trying to work all of this stuff so we're going through a lot of questions about that and we're going to be going through some questions about that also in the the free training is coming up soon but first let me just tell you about today's podcast and welcome you i'm so glad you are here welcome back (laughs) i hope you're hanging in there i guess is what, what i'm trying to say but um, in just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Tina Payne Bryson, PhD, mom, New York Times best-selling author of Whole Brain Child, No Drama Discipline, and founder and executive director of the Center for Connection. And uh, Tina is amazing. I this was such a powerful conversation. We talk about. What are the biggest mistakes we parents make about discipline? And one of the things we talk about is how we don't realize or or we forget that yelling and threats actually makes kids less... Able to learn, and it has to do with our biology, which you talk about a lot. So Tina Payne Bryson, she helps us to hold boundaries with empathy, and gives us some really powerful tools to chill ourselves out, so we can become more responsive. So some important takeaways I really want you to listen for about how discipline is about teaching and building skills, teaching and building skills, right? That's what discipline is about. And how kids have to actually be in a receptive and regulated state in order to learn. They can't learn when they're all stressed out and freaked out. And so we also then talk about four powerful ways to downregulate when we become reactive. So, this, I know you're gonna get so much out of this. I had so many ahas. I know you are going to love this episode. Make sure you listen all the way to the end. She has so much wisdom. And uh, before we dive in, I want to let you know that you can learn even more. We are having the Mindful Parenting Free Live Training, it is coming up soon, just a couple of weeks. And it will be with me and we're going to be going over four powerful lessons live and I'll answer all your questions live. And we're going to be talking about why your kids don't listen to you. You're going to learn about how to stop yelling. We're going to talk about parenting during this pandemic, how to keep our sanity, oive, And we're going to talk about three myths that keep you from being the parent that you want to be. And so this will be all going down September 9th through 14th, be there live, we're going to be doing giveaways, I'm going to be answering your questions, we will record them and they'll be available for about five days afterwards, but it's really great to be there live, it makes such a big difference. And uh, you can sign up for that at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training that's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. And I hope you'll be there. It's really powerful to be with hundreds and sometimes thousands of other parents who are going through the same thing. And uh, it's also a great thing to do like with your friends if you're all kind of pulling out your hair. It can, This can be, you know, the perfect time to focus on this, to kind of let go of the swirl of the news and focus on what's You, what you can help, right? What's immediately here in your environment, and that's your relationships with your kids. So I invite you to join me. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. And now let's dive into this amazing conversation with Tina Payne Bryson. Tina, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. It's such an amazing podcast. And anytime we can be more mindful, oh my goodness, bring it on. I need it too.
1: Yes. Yes, we need it. So yeah. And and part of the podcast is all about like being responsive and rather than reactive to our kids. And you have made a career out of working uh, helping kids uh, helping parents understand sort of how to do this and i was wondering i was kind of thinking about like the work you've done with all the different books and like thinking about like what is the most what is the biggest thing that most parents get wrong about discipline and about holding holding boundaries like about discipline in general
0: yeah that's a great question i think probably what we get wrong the most is that we forget that the purpose of discipline is about teaching and building skills Mm -hmm. so that they can do it differently the next time. Or if not that next time, over time as development unfolds. We get so focused on um, responding to the behavior without looking at the mind behind the behavior, without looking at why it's happening in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so really in a given moment, our kids doing something we don't like it or it breaks a rule or it hurts somebody and we get reactive. We're like, you know, it's funny because we have this instinct to protect our young, right? And so when someone harms our young, we can get really reactive, right? That's like the, mm-hmm. the mama bear in us, right? Even if the perpetrator is also your young, right? So like older kid, you know, punches younger kid. It's hard to really be mindful and calm in those moments. So I think one of my favorite stories to tell is about a time one of my, um, one of my sons hit his brother and they were probably about eight and five at the time. And the older one came in and was like, JP hit me. And you know, and he was hurt. And so I comforted him. And then I came around the corner and my youngest one, JP was just fuming. I mean, he was just beet red. His muscles were tense. He was like gritting his teeth. Like he was so angry. So in that moment though, like my first instinct is not always my best. Right? Sure. (laughs) My first instinct is like, you don't hit, like, you don't hit, like, we don't do that. What are you doing? You know, and why would you hurt your brother? Which is a question, but totally not really a question. I'm not helpful, right? Yeah, Yeah, not helpful. Uh, We say the most ridiculous things actually often in those discipline moments. But when I can stay regulated, when I can, like, take a breath and see that my child is so angry that he's probably in a really heightened state of stress. So just like if he were physically hurt, I would go and comfort him. He needs that right now as well. Now, don't worry. I'm going to address the behavior. This is not permissiveness, Mm -hmm. but if my goal is to teach. And for for me in the moment, the lesson is like, if you get really angry, you can't hurt someone else. That's the lesson, right? That's the the main thing I need to address. Um, If my goal is to teach, then I know that he has to be in a receptive regulated state in order to learn. So in the name of discipline, and by that I mean teaching, I've got to get my kid calm first. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that calms any of us quickly, better than most things, is empathy and connection. Mm So I say to him, sorry, especially kids, right? Because
1: that they're regulating through us, right? There's like a sort of a continuum, right? But a
0: kid is regulating through us. That's exactly right. Yeah, they count on us to to be that kind of holding for that. So I say, oh, JP, you're so angry. Come here. And I reach out for him. He slams his body into me. And I say, oh, you're so, so mad. What happened? And he begins to tell, and this is actually a strategy in the Whole Brain Child called Name It to Tame It that actually engages not just the reactive right hemisphere, um, but the the bringing up words and kind of putting things in order from the left helps move his brain into a state of integration. As he he starts telling me about his brother, you know, told his story to the grandparents on the phone and how unfair that was. And so I say, yeah, that would have made me mad too. You know, I, I can see why you'd be so angry. And I pause and I breathe. And as I do that within like two minutes, I'm holding him. I'm just listening and validating He regulates too. It's that co-regulation, right? And so then he's calm and then he's ready to learn. So then I can say, okay, um, you really hurt your brother. And I pause and I let him feel that, right? And then then we talk through what can you do differently next time when you're mad? How can you make things right with your brother? You know, we have this reflective dialogue, which they don't always love, you know, but... At the end of that, have I taught? Yes. Have I built skills? Yes. And so I've done discipline. And I actually think that a lot of related to this idea of teaching, this mistake that we make that we think it's about punishment and consequences instead of about teaching. Um, a lot of the things we do in the name of discipline are counterproductive because it makes it less likely kids can learn. hmm because we're actually doing things that amplify their states of distress. We're, we're yelling at them, we're um, we're throwing threats at them, we're doing all of these things in the moment that make them feel like the victim. So then they mm-hmm. don't take, and there's no attentional resources paid to what role they played in what mm-hmm. happened. So I actually think it holds kids a lot more accountable for their behavior um, and asking them to you know, helping them calm down first and then sit in that thought of here's what happened and how do you think that impacted the other person? So I guess I think the biggest mistakes we're making are we forget it's about teaching and we let our reactivity rule us instead of calming ourselves first. So that I guess would be a second one is we don't make sure we're calm first. We have to ask that question like, is my kid ready to learn? And am I ready to teach? Right. So it's, oh, that's that one. Yeah, yeah. And then the final one is, is we get so focused on the behavior and throwing punishment and consequences at the behavior, we're missing what's underneath the behavior. And that's really where we need to start because we can say no to a behavior while saying yes to our child's internal world.
1: Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, there's so much there, Tina, that I love. And, you know, the the listener is listening to you tell this story like he's coming in super angry. One brother is like, hit the other brother. How, for you personally, I know there's different ways and different methods, but how do you personally switch from reactive to like your own stress response happening to being able to respond so skillfully in that moment? And, And did this take like, what did this take for you to get to the place (laughs) of being able to do that? Stay tuned for more mindful mama podcast right after this break. So I just got back from my brother's house where I walked in the door and it looked like about a 100, but maybe it was less. There were about so many kiwi crate boxes in their dining room because they had been doing so many wonderful kiwi crates during the pandemic and their quarantine. My nieces love them. And that's another reason why I'm so proud that this podcast is sponsored by KiwiCo. These projects are really fun and they are a really fun way to learn at home. My niece loved the Tinker Crate slime project. It was her favorite which she'll tell you about.
0: I love cutie crates. We've been doing them all summer and they're fun and easy. My favorite one is the slime crate.
1: The slime crate is awesome. It's a chemistry project and she learned how to make super slime, pick up putty, and a glowing bouncy ball. It was so much fun. I definitely want to do my part and I know you want to do your part to encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo and when they're finished, you're going to watch their confidence be as big as their smile. You know, as a parent it can be hard to find creative and new things to keep your children busy and challenged, especially during these long days of summer. KiwiCo does the legwork for you so you can spend quality time tackling projects together at home. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. You can get your first month free on select rates at kiwico.com slash hunter that's k i w i c o dot com slash hunter you won't regret it
0: well listen I don't do it well all the time not not at all <laughs> and you know Dan and I in each of our books tell stories um, about times we you know, flipped our lids and didn't handle things well, you know, in, in the end of no drama discipline, I tell a story about a time I threatened to remove one of my kid's body parts. I told him if he stuck his tongue out one more time, I would rip it out of his mouth. Um, And of course the key to that is making a repair. Um, So we can talk about that too, but I don't handle it skillfully all the time, but I will tell you this. And I think this is so important for all of us as parents to do it, to know this is that just like anything else, it gets easier with practice. Mm -hmm. So it might not feel natural at all to not be reactive Mm -hmm. because maybe we're so stressed out ourselves that it's really all we can muster in the moment. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we didn't have parents who paused and calmed themselves before they interacted. So we never really saw it modeled for us. So, and I will also admit that When my children were younger, when they were little and there was so much chaos and so many meltdowns, and I have three of them, um, I was, I yelled more, way more. And I was a lot less, I was a lot more reactive when they were younger than now that they're older. I Mm -hmm. actually rarely have a big reactive moment, very rarely these days, Um, partly because they're easier and they're more rational. um, But also because I've been practicing it a really long time. So here's what helps me. Um, The first is to, in my mind, when my child is at their worst, and that often looks like hideous behavior, Mm -hmm. I know based on all the research I've done, um, that that is when they need me the most. Mm -hmm. That when they are out of control, that is extremely stressful for them. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, when I come upon a moment where they are really unpleasant or they're really misbehaving in my mind the first thing i tell myself is my child needs me right now he's having mm-hmm. a hard time so i can immediately kind of connect with my prefrontal capacity for empathy mm-hmm. i'm like oh he needs me this is what i need to show up for my kid right um so if i can do that mentally sometimes i don't have the space of mind to do that right mm-hmm. that that requires a cognitive you know, step. So sometimes we need more, um, that's like a top down strategy where we're using the top of our brains. We're still rational. We're still thinking clearly. Sometimes we need more bottom up kinds of ways where we're using our bodies because our frontal lobe is pissed and reactive, right? It's like not joining what's happening. So a couple of other strategies that have been really, really helpful for a lot of people I've taught them to. the first is, Um, And listeners, as you're listening, you can do this right now is to put a hand on your chest with just a little bit of pressure like around your heart and then put a hand on your belly just below your belly button and just to provide a little bit of pressure and then just take a nice deep breath. And then you can actually try and experiment switch your hands to the opposite direction and just notice how that feels. Most people have a strong preference for their right hand on top and their left hand on the bottom, but not everyone. So, experiment. One of them will feel much more calming than the other. And there's something just really grounding and calming about just having your hand on your chest and belly. Mm -hmm. So, when I'm about to yell, if I do that, it sort of gives me, it's almost like I'm putting a pause on my chest, like, hold on hold on. So I'm almost like putting a, a pause on my body before I grab an arm or a yell or something like that. And the, it also, um, there's some, and there's a lot of theories about why it works, but no one really knows, but it's, it really does help settle our nervous system's reactivity, our states of arousal the other thing it does is, if you do that enough times when you're angry and you pause like that, when you put your hands on your chest and belly, your children will see it as a warning sign. <laughs> so it kind of like, is they're like, oh no, she's about to yell, you know, we better rein it in. The third suggestion I have, okay, so the whole like count to 10 and take a breath, that never really worked for me or anyone I ever worked with.
1: Well, I was going to say this hand on the chest thing is so brilliant because you're taking this action to remind you to Mm -hmm. breathe. It's not just like a cognitive thought. It's like an action. And uh, I'm I'm loving it.
0: It's so so helpful. Mm -hmm. And if you can make your, and I learned this by studying the nervous system, if your exhale is longer than your inhale, that triggers the parasympathetic branch of your nervous system, which is like turning your volume dial down. So that's another thing, actually, and, and I'll, I'll get to my other really good one in a minute. But that's actually another thing I've done mentally that helps me a ton is when I approach, like I see my kid like screaming and yelling or being really obnoxious or hurting someone or whatever it is. I almost imagine like they have a volume button on their on their chest and it's turned all the way up, and that my job is to come in and turn the volume down. Mm. So that helps me approach with like a much more calmer tone of voice, like all the nonverbal stuff, like I'm coming in to soothe and turn the volume down. And then I have to make sure my volume is not turned all the way up too. Mm -hmm. So that volume dial is, I guess, the third helpful um, image um, that can kind of, you know, help us. But the fourth one is actually the thing that most parents have come back to me to say This was a game changer and it happened by accident. So um, I have done a lot of clinical work, um, you know, therapy with kids and adolescents, and I've done a lot of parenting consultations. So this happened by accident one day, Hunter. I had a couple in my office who had a five-year-old who was having some really extreme behaviors where the whole family felt like they were held hostage to this kid's reactivity. Um, the main issue was about being dropped off at school. Um, and even though he was really familiar with the school, cause his sibling had been there anytime the mom would try to say goodbye. And even though he had been in preschools and they had never had separation anxiety issues before he would get violent when she tried to leave, he would rip her clothes and bite her. Like he would just completely, I mean, I, his volume yeah. dial got turned all the way up. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, we've had it. We don't know what to do with this kid. We're fed up. And Um, They had tried all kinds of strict discipline because they felt like he was spoiled. And so anyway, I was working with this family and it turned out this kid had a sensory integration challenge. And so being at this new school um, was too overwhelming for his nervous system and it activated a threat response in him. And when his mom stayed with him, She was able to keep him regulated, but when it was time for her to go, Mm. his best tool to regulate himself was leaving. And so he, you know, that's why he had this massive reaction. But so anyway, I'm sitting with the parents and the mom has read The Whole Brain Child and she's on board with this more gentle, respectful parenting approach, but dad is not. And he feels like kids need stricter and stricter discipline. But as we explored together, he's like, well, I've tried stricter discipline and it's not working. And so I just don't know what to do. And I said, okay, well, tell me about the last interaction you had with your son that didn't go very well. And he's like, I can tell you three every day. And this family, like the parents were just really in sorrow too, because they were really not enjoying their kid. And they Mm -hmm. felt a lot of shame around that, but he was hard and that was a really natural emotion. So I kind of just validated their experience and connected with them first. Um, But then the dad said, okay, so he wanted the blue cup." it was in the dishwasher. So I said, you can't have the blue cup. And he started kicking and yelling, throwing things, biting. And so, you know, I told him you can't have the blue cup. And you know, I yelled at him and then he kicked me some more. So I put him in his room and then he wouldn't stay in his room. So then I was holding the door and it just escalated. And this happened multiple times a day and he would rage for 45 minutes to an hour. So (sighs) this was massively Mm -hmm. impacting this family's um, life. So I said to the dad, okay, well, what happens when he, when he's, when he's really upset and he's angry with you and he's yelling at you and all these things, what do you look like?
1: And he was Mm. like, what do
0: you mean? And so we started looking at, I said, tell me what your face looks like. And so really what we unfolded was when his child was in these massive tantrums, the dad had an aggressive, angry look on his face. He was using an aggressive, angry tone. A voice. Mm -hmm. He was much bigger than his child. His body posture was aggressive. And so I said, Gosh, when your child is seeing all of that and taking all of that in, you're activating a threat response in him even further. It's Mm -hmm. like poking a reptile and expecting it not to bite you back. Um, The dad was, in fact, poking his kid's reptilian brain. So I said, Okay, what if we did the opposite? What if we, the next time he's raging, what could we do to communicate to his, you know, more primitive brain, no threat. Mm -hmm. And so as an experiment, I said, what would happen if the next time this happens, you sat below eye level, Mm -hmm. not at eye level, but below eye level, you're going to want to yell. You're not going to want to sit down, but force yourself to sit on the floor, crisscross applesauce or lean back on your arms and sit in a really relaxed posture And I want you to stop yelling, and I want you to only say two things to your child. The first one is something empathetic, like, Oh, buddy, you're having such a hard time. And number two is, I'm right here with you. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, You want me to sit in a (laughs) submitted posture to my child? Like, he was not, (laughs) this was not resonating. (laughs) I can imagine that this is. I'll admit, Hunter, I used brain science to try to make headway here. <laughs> I said, No, you're not sitting in a submissive posture. You're sitting in a strategic posture to downregulate his nervous ah. system arousal. And I honestly didn't think I would ever see them again. He was not into this. But a couple weeks later, they came back. And he said, Tina, I told my wife that our time with you was such a waste of time and money. And I was like, Okay, so did you just come back to share that with me? <laughs> What are we doing today? <laughs> um, and he said no in a moment of desperation my child was completely out of control and I was like I'll try it. So he said I sat on the floor. I don't think I did it exactly like you did. I plopped on the floor and I said I can tell you're mad but I'll sit here with you. And I was like good that's progress right and he said he said oh my goodness like my child calmed down faster than I've ever seen him calm down he said but something more important happened. And I didn't anticipate this, but I should have knowing the science. He said, I stayed calm in a way I've never been able to in my life. Mm. And so we explored that together. And yes, the brain is a neural network. It's an association machine. So when you have an angry look on your face and an angry tone of voice and an angry posture, you're activating neural networks for your fight circuitry. But when you sit below someone's eye level in a relaxed posture and you force yourself to say something empathetic, you are actually activating a totally different neural network. Mm -hmm. So you begin, and it might take two or three minutes, but you begin to feel and access that, that empathic, I'm here with you in your hardest time. And I mean, I feel emotional even talking about this. Now, the dad was like, this worked and it felt good. I felt like I helped my child. Like it was transformative in that moment. And so I began sharing it with more and more parents. And for so many parents, they came back and said that that changed everything in their relationship with their child. Because the way I like to think about this is that when your child is at their worst and they're in distress and they're falling apart, do we want them to get the message that when you cannot control it and you fall apart, you get in trouble.
1: And I or, I can't accept you and I don't even like you and right.
0: and all that stuff, right? Right. Yeah. When you get your shit together, then I'm interested in being in a relationship with you. You yeah. go calm down and be nice when you're ready to be like, right? Do we want to get that message? Right. Mm-hmm. Or do we want to say at your absolute worst, I'm here. I've got you. And when you feel overwhelmed and things are falling apart and you're completely out of control, you will have help. And so, you know, and, and keep in mind too, I have to say this and then I'll pause. This again is not about permissiveness. We're not going to just, let you know, boundaries and limits and all of those things help kids feel safe. So we are absolutely going to address the behavior. We're absolutely going to talk about and, and deal with whatever behaviors are, are, um, happening, but not first, we're going to put the behaviors themselves on the back burner. And first we're going to regulate ourselves and regulate our kids and give them the message that when they need us most, we will be there for them.
1: Stay tuned for more mindful mama podcast right after this break. We are supported by Braddock face masks. Okay. You know, let's talk about the masks, right? You're wearing them. I'm wearing them, we all have to wear them. This, of course, is not news for you. And for me personally, probably shouldn't say this, I actually kind of hated wearing the masks at first. I had like a reaction to it and the ones I tried were uncomfortable and hard to breathe through. But I'm so thrilled that Braddock is making these incredibly comfortable, upcycled, eco-friendly, stay cool, don't suck to wear masks. And I want you to listen closely because you're going to get 25% off all their masks when you use my promo code. What I like about Braddock face masks is that unlike other masks, they actually feel good to wear. They do this by using premium upcycled fabrics that are super soft and breathable, Plus, they have moisture-wicking technology to keep your face nice and cool, which is so important right now. Even more, they're machine washable and hold up after dozens and dozens of washes. Now, you heard me mention the word upcycle, what is that? It actually means that they are brand new existing fabrics that they repurpose for their masks, reducing waste and materials. Less waste equals less harm to the environment. Now, when you go check out their website at braddockusa.com, you'll see they already have awesome prices. But for a limited time, we're going to hook you up with an additional 25% off with the promo code HUNTER on your first purchase. That's 25% off your entire order until the rest of the summer with the promo code HUNTER at braddockusa.com. That's B-R-A-D-D-O-C-K-U-S-A dot com. Go check them out and get some. And from all of us, let's beat this and move on to better days. Oh, one final note. For every purchase using that code, the guys at Braddock are donating masks to those in need. Braddock, already has donated thousands of masks to nurses and healthcare workers and first responders across the country. So go to Braddock USA and use that promo code Hunter. Mm, that is so beautiful. I mean, this is, this is amazing. And, and it's interesting because I was going to ask you about that, this idea of like kind of putting your hand in your heart and moving from being reactive to being responsive. If how, you know, is it helpful to sort of fake it till you make it in a way, right? Like, cause sometimes our kids kind of see through that and sometimes they don't, if we're like trying to be kind of fake calm and we're not really calm, but I love what this idea of putting yourself in this posture and you're putting yourself there. It's not like you're like totally one with it yet, <laughs> but you're, you're, it, the posture itself is the body leading the mind and the bo- mind leads the body. We are a network, right? As you said, like, and that posture de-escalates in ourselves. So then it allows our kids to de-escalate too. It like allows their nervous system to de-escalate too. It's brilliant.
0: Well, and just think about that. If, if you think about this with your significant other or your best friend or whatever, if they're standing and yelling at you and wagging their finger at you and have an aggressive look on their face versus, and you're, you're yelling, you're mad at them about something or whatever, versus them sitting down and saying, I can see you're mad. I'm here. I'm going to listen. Like that changes you so mm-hmm. much in that moment. And by the way, this works really well on, um, your significant other yeah, too. No, yeah, just, yeah, I bet. <laughs> But, you know, Amy Cuddy's beautiful work about um out of Stanford, I believe, mm-hmm. um, of people being in the power posture, right? So she had people sit in a power posture or stand like with their arms up over their heads or on their hands on their hips in like a power posture or in a powerless posture where they were kind of slumped over and head down. And she found that within three minutes, there were hormonal changes and cortisol stress changes um, from whatever position our bodies were in. And so you're right, kids, and especially in middle school and high school, they sniff out inauthenticity instantly, right? I mean, kids are such good detectives of that. They often pick up what we're feeling before we're aware of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yes, I mean, we, we can, and and part of it is that the kid's like, what are you doing? You'd be like, I'm taking a moment to calm myself down before I talk. So you can even just be real and authentic about it. But when you sit and your child sees you working to regulate them, re- working to regulate yourself, and you say, and maybe there's not even the full authenticity in your voice. Maybe you say it like that, dad, and you say, I can see you're mad instead of, oh, you're having a hard time, right? Like mm-hmm. it may not be there yet, but it gets there and your child sees that you're trying. So there is a little fake it till you make it, but it is it's really about being strategic and getting yourself to the moment where you can be the parent you want to be, and it's effective. it works. I'm all about what works yeah. right it's It's so much better. It takes so much of the drama out for you and your child. and when it happens, um, you know, it just feels right and it feels good to you and your child and for the relationship. It's really it's really powerful.
1: Yeah. And this is a relationship, you know, I was thinking back to what you said, like I haven't lost it in, like many years and probably, and a big part of that is that you did a lot of this work in the front end to develop a relationship where your kids are, you know ultimately cooperating with you because they care about you not because they're afraid of a a threat or punishment and you've done the research or you know the research like on the the threats and punishment and so for the the people who do have the you know the it's often the dads or the partner who's not on board and they they believe like i need to punish my kid i need to use these things can you Can you just share a little bit about what the what is actually effective and what the research says about that?
0: Yeah, so the research is really clear. um and I actually this is laid out in no drama discipline, but I also um laid out in my new book for new parents, the Bottom line for Baby, um how really we look at these two dimensions. Um, One is the structure dimension. So this is like how many limits you set, how how many boundaries you have. So you can be high or low on that, right? And then you have another dimension that is like the emotional responsiveness or connection dimension, and you can be low or high on that. If you're low on connection and low on boundaries, that's just called neglect. And that's really bad for kids. The research is really clear about. If you're high on emotional responsiveness and connection, but really low on boundaries and... Um, Limits, that's called permissive parenting, and the research is really clear that that's not in the best interest of children. Limits and structures make them feel safe because the brain loves predictability. Um, Dan Siegel my co-author has a great analogy about how if you're riding your bike over a really narrow bridge and there are no rails you can't be free like you feel nervous and scared the whole time because you're worried but if there are rails you can just ride freely across the bridge and so that's what boundaries and limits do Um, if you're high on limits and boundaries, but really low on connection and emotional responsiveness. This is called authoritarian parenting. And this is the command and demand, do as I say, obey without question kind of thing, which is highly problematic in that, do you really want your children to obey and and follow every, uh, every other adult? No, that's not healthy. Like, we want you to obey and not ask any questions when you're a kid, but when you're a grown-up, we don't want you to be like that, right? (laughs) But the research is really clear that um, that does not lead to good outcomes. What that leads to is kids who um, know how to lie better, who know how to keep from getting in trouble, but it doesn't change their behavior. They are fear, it's fear-based compliance. The research is clear that being high on both, having high limits and boundaries and high connection emotional responsiveness is where kids do best. And they actually internalize um, making good choices. And they they really do what the goal of discipline is, which is to raise children who are self-disciplined. And that's what comes about when you have high boundaries and limits and high emotional responsiveness. A really quick story I can tell to give an example of that is you know, my son one time wanted to, um, We I said, I'm, we're taking you to the movies. He was really excited about that. And then he was like, can we get popcorn? And my husband said, no, we're not getting popcorn this time. Um, and he started to pout. So, you know, first instinct is you're so spoiled, like really, you know, and you want to start lecturing him about how most kids don't get to go to the movies. And if this was a special treat, and if you're going to pout, we're just not going to go, right, all that. Mm -hmm. Um, but if in that moment I'm keeping in mind, okay, teaching is my goal. And I'm, I feel fear if I'm being paying attention, what I feel worried about is that my child is a little spoiled. Like he doesn't have perspective and he takes things for granted. So that's a lesson I want to teach. And I'm going to do that by at dinner time for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about gratitude and we're going to talk about, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to put that on my list of Mm -hmm. a a work of a skill I'm going to be working on in this moment my child, what do they feel? They feel disappointed. He feels disappointed. So I can say yes to his experience and no to the behavior. So I can say, oh, when you heard we weren't getting popcorn, what was that like? Did you feel disappointed? Are you, what's, what's going on? Am I, is that, am I getting close? Head nodding. Yes, I'm disappointed. The last time we, got, we went to the movies, you had popcorn and that was really fun and you love popcorn. And so this time when you heard we weren't going to get popcorn, you felt kind of sad and disappointed, head nodding. I know it's really hard sometimes when we get our hopes up and then we don't get it. And I know that's really hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. Full stop. I'm not buying the popcorn. Mm -hmm. It's not about saying yes to, if he complains and I give it to him, but I can be empathetic about his experience of that. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. my little guy, JP didn't want to get out of the bathtub. And I say, I know you're so mad you have to get out of the bathtub. You really wanted to stay in as I'm lifting him out of the tub. Mm -hmm. So we can enforce boundaries and we should, but we want to do it with empathy, connection, but especially tuning in. And here's why Um, when your children complain or show their emotions to you, even if you think it's indulgent and ridiculous or bratty or spoiled, they are sharing how they feel with you. Mm
1: -hmm. And when
0: we respond in ways that feel bad to them, when we criticize them or we punish them for sharing their feelings with us, they go, gosh, that didn't feel good. I'm not going to share as much. So what will happen is kids will stop sharing their inner world with us. And by the way, parents who do the authority, Parenting, the command and demand, as opposed to the authoritative, which I didn't name, but that's where we're high on both connection and structure. Um, kids who are raised with the command and demand military kind of thing, they actually go to their peers instead of their parents when things go wrong. Yeah, Whereas yeah. kids who are who the, the kids who have parenting with limits and with emotional connection and emotional responsiveness will go to their parents when things go wrong. So that's a good motivator for us is when your kid comes to you and they're like, "Oh, I'm so, you know, I hate doing school on my computer. I want to be with my friends or whatever it is." And we say, "Well, you should you're lucky you even have friends. You're lucky you even have a computer." They're like, "Oh, that didn't feel good. I'm not going to share what I'm feeling with mm-hmm. her later." So we just say, "I know it's so hard, isn't it?" And then later if you want to give them perspective, at dinner table whatever, you can do that. You can teach those lessons. It doesn't always have to be right in that moment. What's more important is that your child has an experience that was positive when they share themselves with us.
1: Yeah, and it's like I see you and I hear you, and I'm not dismissing what you say, and and that connection is built. That's beautiful. I love that example. You know, uh, yes, we can hold our boundaries with discipline. You know, you just don't buy the popcorn, but yeah, you can be kind and you can be empathetic. It's, it makes so much sense. Now, what about for, I know that sometimes, you know, in mindful parenting, we talk about this and we talk about it kind of like as like that empathetic listening as reflective listening. And sometimes people worry that um, reflecting back empathetically can make their kids more upset. So what do do you see this happening and how do you respond to that?
0: Yeah. I think, again, every every child is super different. Mm-hmm. For some parents, they can sit with their kid and have a reflective dialogue and listen to the feelings. And the kid will just continue to escalate and escalate and escalate. And it actually can be produ- uh, counterproductive if mm-hmm. it's if they stay in that emotional responsiveness connection space too long. And by that, I mean like 15, 20 minutes. Um, for other kids, the parent is empathetic, it regulates the kid and they move on in like two minutes. It's really depending on your kid's age and stage and temperament and all kinds of things, but it's okay if your kid gets more upset. So I'll just tell another quick story. So, um, I'm telling lots about my little guy, JP, <laughs> cause he's the little guy. So he, and and I have permission to tell all these stories. um, so the older boys were getting had some friends over and they were getting to stay up a little bit later and I'm very very strict about bedtime. It's one of the things I am really pretty militant about because um I think kids are so sleep deprived and it leads to a lot of emotional reactivity for parents and kids. So um mm-hmm. anyway, I said, you know, it's time to go to bed and he's like, "I want to stay up with the big boys." And I say, "Okay, you can stay up 15 more minutes and then we're going to go up and do bedtime." Well, what that meant was he was just 15 minutes more tired which meant we were going to have a bigger battle. Right. So at the 15 minutes I say, okay, it's time to go up. And he starts crying. Now, again, my first instinct is okay. Well, when I give you 15 minutes and this is what happens, like I'm not giving you extra time next time. And now you're going to cry. So now we don't have time for your bedtime story. You hear all how easily all that comes out. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so in that moment, if I remember something that I think Hunter is one of the most liberating things I discovered as a parent, Which is that when my child is having a hard time like that, when they're upset, my only job in that moment is to be present. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to fix anything. I don't have to change my mind. All I have to do is be present and available and attuned in that moment. So... I could say, Oh, I know you're so sad. It's not, it doesn't feel fair. The big boys get to stay up and you have to go to bed. And that's so disappointing. And as I'm saying that to him, his feelings come up even bigger, right? I'm, I'm kind of, he's like, yes, Mm -hmm. like it's kind of amplifying his distress and he cries and he kicks his feet. We're lying in bed. And I say, I know sometimes it's so hard to feel disappointed and left out. I know buddy, it's so hard. And I just stay with him in that feeling, and I let him cry. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's okay for him to feel that. And I think in our society, we pathologize negative emotions. Like we feel like if we feel anxious, or if we feel sad, or if we feel angry, that means there's something wrong. But feelings are there. Those are the healthy, those are healthy human emotions and are part of the range. And I'll tell you this, the way we help our kids become resilient is by giving them practice, feeling difficult feelings and having difficult circumstances with enough support. Mm. The difference between adversity and difficulty being tolerable, which leads to resilience. Like you tolerate something difficult, it's hard, you make it through. And then your, your brain and body or, and mind are like, that was hard and I made it through. I'm tough, I can handle stuff like that. The difference between tolerable stress or adversity and toxic stress and adversity is whether or not you have enough support. Mm. So in that moment, I, he can cry and I'm there with him. And I say, I know it's hard. I'm here. I'm here. And he, and he feels it good. Good that he feels disappointed. Now he knows how other people feel when they feel disappointed, more empathy. Mm -hmm. He knows he can handle feeling disappointed and hard feelings and get through it. So, but after a few minutes, I might say, gosh, you've been crying a while. Um, Would you like to snuggle in or would you like for me to read a story? And I don't like the idea of distracting kids from their feelings, Mm -hmm. but I do feel like it can be problematic when we let kids stay in feelings where they feel stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, you know, I feel like they, and a lot of parenting experts would agree with me, would disagree with me um, on that. Um, But I think there's an appropriate time when your child has felt their feelings, expressed their feelings, you've listened to them, you've validated them, um, and to say, okay, now would you like to shift gears a little bit? Feelings come and go, and are you ready to do something different? Or are you ready to be a problem solver? You know, what would help you feel better right now? Mm -hmm. Um, What would be helpful to you right now? Those kinds of things. Giving them, again, practice, sitting in emotions and moving through them.
1: Yeah, and in your teaching, you're teaching them so many things there. You're teaching yes, the resilience to be able to feel the feelings. It's okay to do all of those things, but you're also teaching uh, appropriate coping and soothing skills. You know, yeah. like it's uh, when I was when I was at my first silent retreat, and the second day was like a just a. A bowl of tears for me. I just all came up, you know, on this retreat where you're, you basically have nothing, you know, you're just, you don't read, you don't watch anything, you, you know, you don't. Anyway, I knew at that moment it was an appropriate Soothing skill for me to get that little yep. book that I had hidden at the bottom of my bag that I didn't, wasn't even supposed to necessarily yeah. have. Because secret stash that, that I needed it at that moment, yeah. along with the, I did have a little secret stash of dark chocolate too, actually. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's great. Like you're teaching those appropriate, appropriate soothing skills. And sometimes that's a great skill, like for adults too. It's like, sometimes we feel it, we need to feel it. I mean, most of the time, like we really do need to feel it to heal it. But, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, like a few episodes of Grey's Anatomy or whatever is
0: appropriate. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you talk about, and you and um, Dan in your books talk a lot about a presence and everything you're describing really requires a lot a lot of, a lot from us, right? It's like, if we're to sort of change the old generational patterns of if we're, if we're to parent from this, this way that may be new to us, it, it requires a lot of presence and ability to self-awareness, know what we're feeling, be able to handle our own feelings, all of those things. And I'm just wondering for you, Tina, you know, was this really different? Was this way of parenting really different from the way you were raised? Was this, did you have to learn another language? Did you have to work on that self-awareness quite a lot for
0: yourself? Yeah, that's such a good question. And, you know, really in The Power of Showing Up, the book that Dan and I wrote um, just recently, we talk about attachment histories um, and really how the way that people show up for us in relationships doesn't just influence. Um, you know, our behaviors, it actually wires our brains for what to expect in relationships. Mm-hmm. And one of the best predictors, or well, let me say this, the bet, one of the best predictors for how well kids turn out is that they have what's called secure attachment with at least one person. And the number one predictor for whether or not we can provide our kids with secure attachment is not whether or not we had it growing up. Thank God because 40% of the population grew up with an insecure pattern of attachment. The best predictor is whether or not we have reflected on those experiences and made sense of them. And so as I learned that, you know, decades ago, um, this attachment research, um, it's, I've always been kind of a seeker. I've always been someone who always kind of wanted to understand things including my own history and my own mind and my relationships and um, so my answer to your question is this is an ongoing journey for me Um, and I had a mom who was a stay-at-home mom who was very my parents were very young when I was born and my mom thank goodness was a very natural nurturer she was just honestly like the ideal model mom who I aspire to be. And she delighted in my sister and me. And she, I mean, she was super young. I don't know how she did this, but she was absolutely a safe haven and was just a phenomenally emotionally responsive, always present parent. Um, And so I'm so grateful for that. Um, Later, my mom became a psychologist and we actually worked together, um, in my my (laughs) clinical practice. Um, and my dad, with my dad, it was a very different kind of thing. He was absent a lot. I mean, he was, he lived with us. He was always around. Um, but he was checked out. He, um, he found children annoying. Um, he didn't like it when we sang in the car. He, I think he was actually like, now I think about it. I wonder if he was, um, if he had some sensory sensitivities, Mm. he was really reactive with noise and you know, kids are noisy. Um, So when he was home, I actually really liked it when he wasn't home. I felt freer to be a kid Mm. when he was home. I felt like I had to be perfect and quiet and not Mm. make any messes and all of that. And he was very much uncomfortable with intimacy um, if there were feet, like if I was crying or upset about something, he'd be like, Oh, you'll be fine. You know, I don't know what you're getting so upset about. So he was very avoidant. Um, I had an avoidant, um, attachment relationship with him. And so what's been interesting is in my own journey is looking back on that, looking out, looking at the ways my parents did and did not show up for me. Um, and thinking about how that impacted me and the kind of parent I am and the kind of partner I am in my marriage. Um, And I still, I find myself sometimes finding that really natural, like my mom being really emotionally responsive and present and instinct to nurture. And then at other times, very much an instinct, more like my dad, where I can easily go to that dismissing avoidant minimizing feelings kind of thing. And I I do that with myself sometimes too. So that's, what's so important about all of this is it's, it's an ongoing journey of shining the light of awareness on behavior. Like I'll do something as a parent. I'll go, why did I do that? I could have handled that so much better. What was that about for me? And Mm -hmm. sometimes the answer to that question is I haven't peed in six hours and I'm starving (laughs) and I'm so tired and I'm working too much and I'm just not my best self. Right. And that's the meaning of it. But then other times I can say, gosh, you know, I'm really not feeling comfortable feeling those feelings. And what, I wonder why I'm avoiding that. What's that about? And to really take those times when I behave in ways or feel in ways that aren't who I want to be, as an invitation to be curious and to say, what's that about? And really the things we feel most resistant to looking at, to feeling, to, you know, wrestling with are the things that are going to keep persisting. And so really kind of leaning into it when we have the capacity and enough support to do it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think too, Hunter, I think, you know, what I love so much about what we do in the power of showing up. Is we say yes, this ongoing journey is so important. And in both um, Dan's book with Mary Hart, "Still Parenting from the Inside Out," and in "The Power of Showing Up," there are questions in there to really guide parents through some questions for reflection to do some of that work. And that's an ongoing work, you know, progress process. But Dan and I also talk about okay, besides that ongoing personal internal work. What can we do as parents in the discipline moments, in the everyday moments to help build our child's secure attachment with us? Mm -hmm. And we come up with the four S's, which is to help kids feel safe, seen, soothed. And then when they have enough repeated experiences that they develop the fourth S, which is secure, which is really that, um, and I can define those and talk about them more if we have time, but, um, it's really the idea that when we not perfectly, but enough times show up for our kids, and helping them feel safe, and helping them feel seen, and soothing them, which is really all the examples I was giving from discipline, you can sort of see those elements, then they develop that secure attachment, which means that they know their brain has wired to expect that if they have a need, someone will show up for them, and better they develop the capacity to show up for themselves mm. so that they can keep themselves safe and see and understand and live mindfully and to soothe themselves and then to expect it and give it in their relationships as well. And then the, the final piece to that is back to your question. And that is, this is really hard to do, you know, and I love the four S's. That is my North star. So if, if in a given moment I go, okay, I don't know how to respond in this moment. I don't know what to say or do that I, you know, my teenager just did something really risky and I don't like it. And I have, I feel really reactive inside me. How can I respond in the situation that communicates to my kid, you are safe. I will keep you safe. Um, I see you and I understand how you feel. I'm here with you as you figure this out. Um, how do I show up with the four S's in the moment? But I can't do that, regardless of my parenting, the way I was parented, if I'm not showing up for myself and if I don't have people who show up for me. Mm. So I have to have people in my life that I intentionally carve out time for that help me feel safe and seen and soothed. Mm. And I have to do it for myself. And that might mean, guys, you're on your own for dinner tonight. My kids are 13, 17, and 20, and my husband's, you know, 50-something, and I'm going to go walk, and I'm going to go walk and walk and walk until I'm ready to come back, (laughs) Uh, and then I'll do my own thing for dinner. You know, sometimes it means going to bed really early. Sometimes it means um, doing something for myself, Mm -hmm. and as much as I resist that because it's more uncomfortable for me to do that than it is to take care of everybody else, I have to do that. And I think the degree to which we do self care is also tied to how we were parented. Mm -hmm. Were you given messages that you matter? And even if you weren't, I really want to say, all of you who are listening, you probably give so much to your kids, and you probably feel good about some of it, and you probably feel pretty awful about some of your parenting. You're probably being way too hard on yourselves. Your kids think you're a hero, even when you're awful to them, just make the repair. Um, But you matter too. Mm -hmm. We have to remember that we matter too. Amen. I love that. You know,
1: it's interesting because you were talking about all these things, like kind of looking at our attachment histories, understanding our own parents and our upbringing and sharing your story. And I was thinking like, gosh, like this is such hard work, right? Like this is like you know, who would say, oh, me, please, you know, I want to do, but and thinking about like what's on the other side, but really what you're describing is what's on the other side, that you are able to show up, that you are able to show up for your kids and that this is, this is what it takes in, in so many ways to be able to show up, to be able to say, okay, I'm going to move from this reactive place to this this responsive place that helped my kids feel safe, soothed, seen, soothed, and secure. And I'm so glad that you put in that piece about, you know, because I'm actually one of those people who like, I got my self-care. I'm good with that. Like, I don't have a problem taking my (laughs) self-care, but I know know so many people like you, right? I have so many people like you who are like, it's hard for me. It's hard for me because we're conditioned to not, to not have that sort of like value of ourselves, right, as women yeah. as people, but that's I'm so glad you shared that it's not easy for you, but you do it anyway because that's how you show up.
0: That's exactly right. and I need to model it. And also one other piece from my from my history is that you know a lot of those that that kind of hard belief center around self-care, um is is was mixed up in a lot of religious stuff. You know, I was raised um, in a in a Baptist church and I got so so much um, wonderful resilience and and deep um, benefit from my christianity. I really did. And I got some crap too. You know, there was some stuff there that was like you are in the service of God. You are in the service of others. And, um, I don't really remember, and maybe it was just what my brain looked, hooked onto and, and, and ignored, but I don't remember ever getting messages about self-care ever that mm. it was always really focused on serving others. And, um, so I think sometimes that, um, your religious tradition can also play into that yeah. just as much as your attachment relationships. Yeah. And of course, serving others brings me great joy. And it's very much a part of who I am. And I have to, you know, and and unfortunately my husband is really good at, um, reminding me to do that. And he really values, you know, saying, you know, he's really incredibly sweet. Um, he, anytime I ask him something like, Hey, will you pick up the dog poop? You know, something like that. He will often write back A F Y, which means anything for you, which is just so sweet. I know it's so sweet. (sighs) um but he'll he'll remind me he'll be like i got this you and i'm i'll be honest i am, am very conscientious i score very high on the conscientious scale which sometimes makes me a difficult person to live with because i think things should be done a certain way and i think there's a right way and a better way a lot of times <laughs> um and so some some of that of saying okay i'm going to let other people do stuff requires me saying it's okay if it's not done the way i prefer it to be done it's you know the dishes are still going to get put in the dishwasher even if they're not put it in a way that's going to make them the cleanest. We'll live, you know, and so part of that is just letting go of expectations or that things should be done a better way. Um, You know, kids aren't so great at cleaning things, you know, and if I do it, it's going to be better, Um, but that's how they get better. So that's what I work on. That's so true. <laughs> My daughter
1: did her like sink scrub. She has a sink scrubbing job now on the weekends. And every time I'm like, "Honey, the sides too," and she's like, "I did it the best I could." I'm like, oh. <laughs> 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 "Well, I, in in uh, you know, what a uh, apropos note to go out on this like valuing ourselves because I want to value your time that you so generously offered and shared with me and the listener. It's so so valuable. I I, I I have so appreciative of your wisdom. Your new book is so cool. I've been reading it the bottom line for baby, the bottom line for baby. And there's all these like, great, like, little. like what's the bottom line. I was so pleased to see that it's kind of alphabetical. You start with the alcohol. And I was like, ah, i was you know yes like those couple <laughs> of glasses of wine i had like here and there just chill out people you know that's <laughs> right like... the science says
0: go for it
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and all kinds of things breastfeeding co sleeping germs all those different things which um is really great all of tina's books are amazing
0: where can where can people find out more about you and and all the work you do Thank you. My website is tinabryson.com and that's B-R-Y-S-O-N. And there's tons of um, free material on there. Podcasts that I've been on and videos I make. I've made several videos recently about getting through difficult times. Um, So there's tons of free content on there, but that's a good place to find me to follow me on Instagram and the other social media places. Um, And Hunter, thank you so much. Thank you for the work you do in helping us. You know, I know when people, when we listen to your podcast, you're helping us take care of ourselves better and nurturing us and grounding us and being more mindful and intentional. So thank you for the opportunity and for the great work you're doing to support us as parents.
1: Wow, wow, wow. I love what Tina has to say. She just says it so beautifully, so commonsensically, no nonsense. You know, yes, yes. We all, this piece about down-regulating and learning about ourselves, this is so, so, so important. And that's why it is, mindfulness is the foundation of what we do in the Mindful Parenting membership. And it becomes so, so important. We need to, be able to communicate but we can't do that like and our kids can't even learn when we're in this like stressed out place and tina makes that so clear i hope you got some goodies from this episode it's so powerful i love her teaching amazing you may want to listen again of course if you you're listening you know take a screenshot tag me on Instagram I'm at mindful mama mentor share it with your friends uh, give me your ahas I want to know your takeaways it's a great way to do it um, that would be wonderful to to see and in here what what are your takeaways I really want to have that conversation with you and um, of course you and I can get together more personally in the mindful parenting free training program I'm gonna be doing some live, teaching or want to help during this pandemic. And so we're going to be talking about parenting during the pandemic. We're going to talk about how to stop yelling, more tools to downregulate. We're going to talk about why your kids don't listen to you. You're really going to get to understand that from the inside out. And this is all happening live September 9th through 14th, be a part of it. Come take it further than just listening. You know, listening is great, but when you really actively engage, you get to learn so much more. So join me, be a part of it. It's at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I love hearing the takeaways people have. It can be so, so powerful. So um, I hope to see you there. It's at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. And listen, hang in there. This is a crazy time. It's so, but we're gonna get through this. Um, Next week's episode uh, coming on Tuesday is a a special on-air coaching episode. Uh, Help, I'm comparing my kids. If you've had this problem, this might be for you. And we have some other um, really great episodes coming up for you in the coming week. So make sure you check it out every Tuesday, wherever you're subscribed and I'll be back in your ears. And I'm so glad to connect with you. I so appreciate you being here listening. This is the, you You know, you're the reason this podcast exists um, because of you, me and my team get to reach out to these amazing experts and talk to people And share this knowledge and so I really really appreciate it and you can help by sharing the podcast of course and and of course I hope to see you at the free training that would be awesome and I'm just wishing you some peace uh you know during this time I really have to sometimes I get caught up in the news and the the politics and in the um and the pandemic and all the things happening. And I, when that happens for me, I can feel it in my body and I really have to come back to the present moment. What is happening? What is real right now, here and now? So I invite you to practice that too with me. Focus on your breathing, feel your feet on the earth, come back to now and I will be practicing with you. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening, my friend. I'll be back in your ears next week. Namaste.